Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What does it mean to be out on Earth? Join two friends as we broaden our small town perspectives and explore the enchanting, hilarious, and unusual interconnections between society, ecology, and queer culture. Bet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey. How are you today? I'm good. Welcome to Out on Earth episode one. This is kind of a homecoming. I am Cricket. I'm Ashton. Um, my pronouns are she, they. I use they, them pronouns. I guess we should, we can introduce ourselves a little bit. Yeah, why don't you start? Um, I am from small town Oklahoma. I'm Japanese American, Yonsei, which means fourth generation. I currently manage a small team for a climate justice startup called Generation Conscious. I'm also a Twitch streamer. <laughs> Notoriously. Uh, yeah, I run like an ADHD co-working stream where I also do like art sometimes. Today we drew a turtle on stream. You really just fun. drew a turtle? Yeah, we drew like a an emo turtle. He had like all these piercings and stuff. It was really fun. Honestly, work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do like in between the breaks. You know, we're like, we focus for a little bit mm-hmm. and then I'll just draw. And I need to focus join again. one of these. It's really fun. Yeah, like the body mirroring thing is something I think I'd benefit from. Yeah. 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 Work. I also play games on there sometimes. I also do like native plant gardening two days a week. And I volunteer as like a pollution creek monitor for an organization called Project Wet. So it's a multi-hyphenate situation, unfortunately. I do <laughs> too many things. Oh, no. Uh, I'm so booked and busy. Uh... <laughs> Booked and blessed. Truly. Um, and I have two cats, Banjo and Kazooie, and they'll probably make an appearance on the pod. Um, so, like I said, my name is Ashton. Um, I'm 23. I use they, them pronouns. Um, 
I grew up in Elgin, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, if you're familiar with the Lawton, Oklahoma area, then like that's basically where I grew up. <laughs> um, I currently work as a youth care coordinator at a low barrier identity affirming shelter here in OKC. So we take clients ages 15 to 24 that are experiencing homelessness and provide them resources, a place to sleep, case managers, that kind of thing. Outside of work, I am a big um, like fiber artist, I suppose is the best word for it. Ooh. I saw this recently, which we can we can dive into this later outside of the pod. But <laughs> recently, um, a crocheter I follow made a collection of merch called Bistitual. Ooh. And I don't know if she's queer, so I'm like, this could be dicey. But like, <laughs> I, if she is queer, I'm also Bistitual. So yeah. I crochet and I knit. Yeah. I do true identification as well, but mm-hmm. less so recently. And I'm a big Pokemon girl. Oh, I forgot to mention yeah. that. I play Pokemon Unite, I play Pokemon Go, and then eventually I'm going to play Scarlet and Violet. It's just... I feel like all of the identifiers you just revealed about yourself, that is the one that took the most for you to push through and reveal on the pod. You know what? And it did. And it did. But also, simultaneously, I am not embarrassed by it because I am embracing my inner child. Yeah. No, I've always said, like, it's time. It's time for you to reveal yourself it's, so it's time to come out as a pokemon no literally and like honestly so <laughs> many people play pokemon that i would have never guessed play pokemon yeah so i feel a lot less bad about no it. pokemon is for everyone and pokemon go is like still popping off so truly they're always pumping out like new events and like yeah all of this stuff it's they just so released the roots and i want to go do a oh root. my god i did a root it was literally I think it was a three-mile route, but oh my God. It, it was the closest route to me, so I was like, yeah. I guess I'll walk it. <laughs> and tell me why I didn't get any Zygarde cells. I'm ner- I'm like geeking the fuck out right now about Pokemon, but yeah. like, you're just going to have to go with me. <laughs> but okay, back on task. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up my uh, introduction. Um, so I also have a cat. Um, his name is Sage. He's a dick, um, <laughs> but I would also sacrifice my life for him. Um, and then finally... I guess this also kind of plays into like the inception of the pod, Mm -hmm. but um, I went to the University of Oklahoma where I got my bachelor's in critical food studies, which is just sort of the study of how access to food and what kinds of food are accessible are influenced by social, political, and environmental factors. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. I always forget what your degree is. I mean, it's useless. I mean, like, in, like, the larger scope of the world, like, I just can't get a job. (laughs) It's perfect for this, though. Oh, it's it's incredible for this. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Um, Yeah. I love it. Um, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Yeah. jobs are so hard to find. Yeah, especially right now. Yeah. I feel like there's never been a time where jobs have been easy to find. Yeah. I feel like we've always said it's so hard to find a job right now. Right. Because it has always been hard to find and a job. And then there's also people who are like, no one wants to work. And I'm like, every 10 years. I know. Like, I would love to work. Yeah. With a job as a living wage. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. I digress. Okay. <laughs> well, um, so I guess we can we can move on to the inception of the pod and sort of where that came about. Would you like to to take it away? I guess at its base, like this podcast is about... Two friends who grew up in in the state that ranks forty fifth in education, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's just kind of like us reclaiming our right to learn about the world. We did go to college, but there's so many things that we just did not learn about, especially just growing up. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess more recently, we've just kind of come into that knowing Mm -hmm. and we want to share it with others. (laughs) And like realizing that college itself is like a very westernized institution in which we're giving, we're being given bias information at every turn. Yeah. I think it is super fun to start learning post-graduation and sort of taking, um, taking more agency in our sources and what we're learning. So yeah, this is kind of just an expression of that. Um, We'll be analyzing society, dissecting topics like um, houseplants, witchcraft, uh, national parks, one of my favorites, and uh, bringing forward all the ways that they intersect with queer ecology and queer culture. Yeah. We're just going to talk about things we love and kind of gab. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we can kind of create a home for us and both our audience and help everyone kind of feel more at home mm-hmm. as we are out on Earth. Part of this is wanting to sort of uncover or even just convey the unspoken parts of history um, Mm -hmm. or parts of history that are given less attention um, by the greater Western education system. Um, And we kind of want to like bring those together to make our audience and also ourselves realize that we are still a part of essential systems on earth. Because I think that like oftentimes we get very separated from that just day to day throughout. Yeah. Life doesn't make it easy to be interconnected, you know? Right. In some ways it does. And in the most important ways it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Oh, so true. So beautifully said. <laughs> so this podcast kind of came about a few years ago. I know. We started thinking of it. And then it came from a place of like, we just love podcasts so much. I know that we both listen to a shit ton of podcasts. Yeah. I listen to more podcasts than music. And Me too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's disgusting, frankly. <laughs> and so not only is this like exploring something that we're interested in, it's also bringing in other ways to learn and other forms of like creative expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're both very, you more so than me, I'd say, are very artistic people. Um, and so I feel like this is another manifestation That's of that. That's not true. Yeah, okay, I, I said you more so than me. And I feel like that <laughs> is true. You can do, look at all these paintings. Oh, stop. I could never. You are also very creative, though, in so many different ways. You know, I love that. And I appreciate you hyping me up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's also like we saw a need. Mm. Sorry, my cat is like scratching something in the background. I can hear him like. <laughs> um, We saw a need in the podcasting space. I think we both listen to like society based podcasts, oh, down. Um, culture, social mm-hmm. media, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But then we also listen to like climate justice podcasts, yes. like about climate change yes. and like a lot of those are really heavy, heavy and hard to listen to important but Mm, we are trying to kind of find the cross-section between those two worlds find something that's like fun and funny and interesting but also um talks about important things and like mobilizes on those points we just like want to essentially provide a space that allows us to (laughs) that was cute um basically just community that provides a space for us to you know grieve um fight for our planet and sort of feel all of those hard feelings together while still sort of looking forward to how we can mobilize ourselves. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So, Cricket, I have a question for you. Okay. How did you come to discover political ecology and environmental justice? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a great question. I had no idea you were going to ask me that. (laughs) I, okay, I grew up in an area where my political beliefs about, like, human justice and human rights were challenged. Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely stood out, um just like as one of like four Asian Americans in my town (laughs) and like three of those are 
my family members. So, but just like as an eldest daughter, I love that term, like eldest daughter. I it's such a term. Kind of a D, uh, um, I'm like really headstrong and really outspoken. D. And um, from a young age, I was taught about like how my entire family was incarcerated <laughs> during World War II um, with Japanese internment and have come to understand like the intense cultural assimilation that my family went through in order to be accepted by society. Yeah. And I really want to reject that almost in yeah. every way possible and almost like reclaim that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I'm like so damn loud. <laughs> Good. Um, Make some noise. And I think that's really motivated me for a long time. Like the way that it was mentioned like once in my school's mm. history textbook, Yo. which by the way, I have that his uh, that history textbook. I stole it. If we ever want to do an episode where we like go through my high school history I textbook. I think we should do a history lesson from your old textbook. Oh my God, that would be so I, sick. I think we should, at the end of the episode, fact check everything that we just went over. Yeah, that would be fun. I think that'd be super fun. I'll okay. show it to you after this. Okay, but, but <laughs> I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So yeah, I guess... For me, studying political ecology and just like ecology in general, I feel like it gives a lot of people a home mm -hmm. and helps explain things that just history by itself or just mm -hmm. ecology by itself can't mm -hmm. explain, especially if you are like a queer identifying person. Yep. And that's a lot what this is all about. So mm -hmm. um, so today I'm just kind of going to lead a discussion on how you and I perceive sustainability and climate justice yeah. as an act of joy. Beautiful. Because I think that's something that we need to feel more often. And we need lost. to be able to imagine that future in order for it to happen. Imagination. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, like, what is sustainability? Like, how do you think most people in America perceive sustainability or, like, that word? I think it's viewed through, like, a very consumerist lens. I think it's something that we in America use to justify more consumption, mm -hmm. to make the guilt of our consumption feel lessened. And I also just, like, have issues with concepts of sustainability as a whole and, like, their origins sometimes. I think in the right context and in the right hands that sustainability is a beautiful concept. But I also do think it's, like, a very, 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 very Western concept. Yeah. Which I would love to touch on in future episodes yeah there's a whole book that i read for a class that i want to talk about not the whole book but you know <laughs> love you would be kind of fun to do Let's book do reviews it. i would love to do a little like book report yeah over it. that'd be super fun. that's basically what all of my episodes are though <laughs> i just read a book, a book. yeah <laughs> i like i don't even i don't have a system yet i need to solidify a system i kind of just like dick around on the internet and find <laughs> some reliable sources and i like glean some good information yeah and then i add my commentary and i'm like ready yeah <laughs> i mean that's great i like starting with a book just because it's like someone spent a lot of fucking time like yeah. thinking about it gathering and then resources they have resources yeah. that i can go off of yeah. um but what is yeah. what is sustainability to you well i wanted to read this quote from aditi mayer who spoke at the trt world forum <laughs> not testosterone replace therapy honestly need <laughs> <laughs> That's what came up when I googled it. It's a Turkish forum, basically. So she said, The goal of fast fashion is alienation. The consumer should be alienated from the source of what they consume. And the product itself is basically disposable. Mm. So I would say challenge disposability culture. How we view people, how we view land, that is the true underpinning of sustainability. It's not something you buy, it's something you embody. Mm. And it's a mindset. 
So let that be your North Star when you think about business solutions, your role as a consumer, your role as a citizen in larger systems. We have a dominant model that makes so many things disposable. So let's challenge that. Okay, wait, me and Aditi on the same wavelength. I know, I know. You were like just speaking. I haven't read any of your notes either. That kind of just, I just... You just know. So Aditi's talking about fast fashion, but I think the main point here is alienation, like being separated from the product, like Mm -hmm. not having any idea of where it comes from, Mm -hmm. either from like the people that make it or Mm -hmm. what it is. Or even the type of plant that it comes from. Yeah. Like, I didn't know where strawberries came from for a really long time, which is super embarrassing. But like, that's not necessarily our fault of a system you know yeah it's like have you seen the good place i have dabbled in like the first four episodes okay it's my favorite show of all time wyatt so also good. loves the good place but um like spoilers but near the end of the season i guess they just realized that everyone is in the bad place because mm. of our alienation from every action that we do like Damn. someone 200 years ago, bought some roses for someone, and that was like an act of kindness. But now, if you buy roses from someone, it's, mm-hmm. for someone, it's like an act of evil because you don't know where the roses came from. They were picked by a child, and like, and that's like the arc of the, <laughs> the show. Shit. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Maybe so I would like the show. They have to change the rules of heaven and hell because it's all different now. There's no actual rules because everyone is evil so that that's kind of like how i think of this like alienation is where we're at and so in order to be sustainable you just have to start thinking about it beyond just the consumer so my point is like you don't need to completely change your lifestyle or go vegan or buy linen or like 50 reusable water bottles um you just have to like care Mm -hmm. and take the time to think the elements of your life for their gifts Mm -hmm. And I think the changes in your mood and lifestyle will follow. Um, I agree. And so I wanted to introduce the idea of reciprocity, which is not my idea. No. I want to say that very confidently. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of took ideas of reciprocity from Robin Wall Kimmerer and her book Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. Yes. And I reread it for this episode, and it's just so good. It's so good. It's just so good. I have half of that book highlighted. Yeah, I know. It's a beautiful book. <laughs> There's I read no it. blank pages in my no. copy. <laughs> I read I read uh I read it during my summer in Pennsylvania. And uh-huh. I was sitting in a coffee shop reading it one day and just sort of sobbing. Yeah. Just full on sobbing in the middle of this coffee shop. Yeah. It was so embarrassing, but it's such a good book. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually I listened to it this time. Ooh, how is her voice? She is just such a storyteller. Like <sighs> it's just so easy to listen now to I her to listen to and the audiobook. You can listen to it for free on Libby if you have a library card. I do. Yeah. I absolutely Actually, do. I have it checked out right now, but you, then you can have it. <laughs> and if you, listener, do not have a library card, you need to go to your local library and you need to get one today. <laughs> and you need to take advantage of the resources that your library has that are waiting on you. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. I didn't exactly. even jump on your ass about it. But also, get a library card. Yeah. <laughs> I love my library card. I, I was too. there yesterday. I There was an event in Norman that you couldn't get into unless you had a library oh i was nice like, uh, exclusive yeah vip for the library girls but <laughs> all right get back into it okay so reciprocity i kind of interpreted it as accepting your role in nature and imagining your synergy within earth systems and working to uphold it every day hmm. one of the biggest takeaways i had from braiding sweetgrass is the idea of the honorable harvest mm-hmm. 
And to me, the honorable harvest is a way of adopting that sustainability mindset. Mm -hmm. Robin Wall Kimmer says that collectively, the indigenous canon of principles and practices that govern the exchange of life for life is known as the honorable harvest. It's a covenant of reciprocity between humans and the land. Robin Wall Kimmer is Potawatomi, Mm -hmm. um, and they have allotment in Oklahoma. So I'm like, Robin Wall Kimmer... Come to Oklahoma. <laughs> Wait, Robin Wall Kimmer is a guest on the pod. No, That'd that be would crazy. Be, no She's so busy. I no. was on her website after this, and she is at a different university like every week giving a talk. Like she is putting in the work. She is booked, busy, blessed, and highly favored. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I know. Last week after reading this, I like picked and ate my first tomato of the season. Yeah. And I cried because I was just like thinking about the honorable harvest. I ate my tomato, and it was like. <sighs> Such a great experience. I was so excited to go pick it that I face planted in the garden. <laughs> Just a she they on their way to get the first tomato of the season. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. By applying this thinking to more and more things, I feel myself losing the urge to consume. Mm. Like, especially with ADHD, I feel like anytime I'm going into a bad place, I'm like, let's go buy everything at yes! Target. <laughs> no, oh God, that feels so nice to know that I'm not the only one. No, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> It's a coping mechanism. It's just like, yeah. So I think this has been just that mindset has been really good for my wallet, but also just like Mm. my brain. Like Mm. I can find other ways to find that joy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find a longer lasting joy too than that temporary dopamine kick you get from a purchase. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. For sure. You read Braiding Sweetgrass. What's something? Is there anything you remember from it? So what I remember, I believe they're called the Three Sisters. Um, so that would be squash, legumes, and I'm missing one. What's the other one? Do you remember? Corn. Corn. Yeah. So the corn climbs really high. The legumes spiral up top the corn, and then the squash covers the ground. Mm-hmm. So you get this sort of um, circle of reciprocity yeah. from each plant that kind of promotes the growth of the other and limits pests naturally which I would love to do an episode on pests and like what we define as pests and how yeah. we define them as pests. And I think that's one of the ones that stuck out the most to me. I loved that. Cha- that yeah. That's the chapter that made me cry. Like that one really chapter. got to me. Yeah. But also the fact that those three, you wouldn't find them like that in, in, no. in nature. Oh no. So putting them together mm. and them discovering their own like relationships with each other mm. is an act of a human. And that is that beautiful marriage between human and nature. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And how great it feels after hearing so much bullshit about like climate change and the earth dying and stuff mm-hmm. to know that like there is these stories and to know that there are these things like phenomenons that happen in nature mm-hmm. that make us feel at home, mm-hmm. like make us feel like we have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Make us feel like we have a, a relation to the things around yeah. us. And a sort of agency and how those things unfold right yeah yeah and so like as i came to understand like and allow myself to feel that reciprocity it made like every act of climate justice for me feel more joyful there's some things that fell away from me like once i once i started to understand that like anxiety and fear and also like body anxiety and disordered eating like i feel like so much of that for me was that alienation from what i was eating and like i don't know like being able to understand that more also like creative blocks and Mm -hmm. i don't know so i just know that what i'm talking about now is like a precursor to 
the much larger experience of coming home to nature Mm -hmm. with a queer identity. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost done. But um, (laughs) I think that there's so many people that begin work in climate justice without doing the work to understand reciprocity and what sustainability means. And so like the last step after I felt like I understood those is like being able to participate in regeneration of ecosystems and like working to mend our mistakes, but also merging justice with Mm -hmm. that restoration, doing the work to educate yourself on that change. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson writes, and all we can save (laughs) that climate change is a powerful threat multiplier making existing vulnerabilities and injustices worse, Mm -hmm. especially under conditions of poverty, women and girls face greater risk of displacement or death Mm -hmm. from extreme weather disasters. And she also lists a link between like climate change and gender-based violence, deprivation of resources, especially for women and non-binary people. And she says that these realities make gender responsive strategies for climate resilience and adaptation critical. So that was a lot of words. But basically what I'm trying to say is like Ayana's saying that you need to like care about social justice in order to care about climate change, in order to care about the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's like the last big step in being ready to mm-hmm. to do the work. I think that gardening and communicating political ecology and like creating knowledge accessibility are my acts of regeneration Mm -hmm. i think yours are like creating spaces for queer people to feel accepted as a kin of nature Mm -hmm. and i think these are all acts of joy but they're all also acts of climate justice Mm -hmm. and it's okay to not be afraid of the word climate justice and you can always find ways that you can contribute to it Mm -hmm. in a way that's happy without causing harm that and i think that a lot of times when we think of climate justice we think of having to be like lawyers or attorneys yeah. and shit like that and the true thing about climate justice is that just the smallest actions can be considered climate justice um i mean like putting trees in in a not shaded area for unhoused people that's climate justice right there you know yeah and it seems like such a small act but it's not um so yeah for sure yeah and then you are allowing people to like imagine a space with trees mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's uh, the first step you know we have to do an episode of trees. i know i know i was thinking that because God, i, I want to learn more about trees i, trees. I would okay. i would just sit here and twiddle my thumbs and just let you that's, talk for that's hours what I was gonna, that's what i was gonna ask because i listened to this podcast called pick me up i'm scared and it's two hosts one of them just like does the deep dives on like the research and stuff and the other one's like a commentator of that episode yeah. and then they'll switch out oh yeah and i was like what if we tried that every we could once try in a that, while yeah. yeah if we have like a subject that we're super um like passionate about yeah and that like, the other one's like exactly what <laughs> yeah exactly i think that'd be really fun yeah. so yeah for sure or a deep ocean episode we can't Love talk the about deep the submarine ocean. no we won't talk about the submarine we're but the deep ocean, ocean okay, is work. so sick like Marina's Trench? Is yeah. it Mariana or Marina? Marina the Diamonds? <laughs> <laughs> I think Mariana. Damn. Ariana. Ariana's Trench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <You> said, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that gag. Yeah. All uh, right. Okay, so um, I want to wrap it up, but... Yeah, I guess like I find that a lot of people I meet in the sustainability space, like I work for a liter- like work for a startup. Yes, and I s- meet so many people that are like trying to create regenerative infrastructures without doing the due diligence to understand mm. these things. 
And so they act out of fear, fear of what's like being taken away Mm. rather than out of joy of creating something. And so I feel like if we continue to act out of fear, like we're no better than those who create panic that takes away the rights of others. And so that's that's how I came to discover all of this, because Mm. the last thing I want to do is create fear. I feel like I lived in fear so often growing up. Mm. And um, if we're going to create solutions like I just want to have a good time, you know? Yeah, we've got to abandon fear. It typically just paralyzes. And yes. paralysis isn't going to do anything for the climate movement. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I feel like on this podcast, we're going to goof, but like at the foundation of our friendship and the community we're trying to build are these critical concepts of like sustainability and reciprocity and regeneration. Yeah, so beautiful. if those are things that you um, feel like you're missing in your life or like you want to learn more about, mm-hmm. like we're going to talk about a bunch of random shit, but... Mm-hmm. This is our foundation. Yeah, for sure. This is a passion project. But at the end of the day, like we're sitting in a room, just the two of us looking at each other and talking to each other. And <laughs> literally two feet away. <laughs> no, literally. And so I feel like it comes back to this, regardless of like where the podcast goes and what happens. Like it's always going to be foundations of just reciprocity, the things that you had mentioned. So yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do sort of a little background, how I got into ecology, queer ecology, climate justice, all of those things. So I grew up in small town, Oklahoma, um, Elgin, Oklahoma, as I mentioned earlier, there were absolutely more cows than people. (laughs) And there was one stoplight. And I will mention that that one stoplight was installed when I was in high school. So a majority of my life, oh my that God. town had no stoplights. <laughs> um, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, so that's kind of an idea of sort of where I grew up. I was constantly buffeted with ideas of what is men is supposed to be, how they're supposed to show up in the world, um, how they're supposed to present just a result of a very rural, very country sort of environment. And so much of this came from what I can only imagine was like my own, like my father's tumultuous relationship with his own gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the term metrosexual? yeah he identified as a metrosexual and i was like are you sure you're not just like bi or just like a straight man with good hygiene yeah who like but what does that mean okay metrosexual i'm gonna look up an official definition because i don't want to paraphrase it relating to or denoting men who live in urban areas and enjoy shopping fashion and similar interests traditionally associated with women or gay men oh Mm. But anyways, let's jump back into the Interesting. I know. Is there like a binary alternative to that for like women? I doubt it. Because metrosexual is like, it serves as sort of like an opposition. Like butch? <laughs> That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, that checks out, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, my dad was a pretty feminine man. He was. Okay. But I think he was also very insecure <laughs> about a lot of those things. Yeah. And so I felt a lot of pressure um, from him to be more, quote unquote, manly. I will say that I was pretty blessed to have a bunch of trans, gay, and non-binary friends in high school. Pretty surprising for how small of a rural town it was. Um, but we definitely ganged together. It was super fun. You still talk to them? No, I really, I don't. None of them. And it makes me very sad. But I also think that sometimes people come into your life for seasons. Yeah. And they serve a purpose within those seasons. And when the season passes, it's time to move on. Yeah. And I, and I genuinely feel that about those people. That's good. I, I think that they... A they, peaceful sunset. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they set a lot of foundations for my passion for being outspokenly queer. Mm-hmm. And I, I will never forget that. Yeah. For sure. We'll never forget them. Uh, yeah, I will always have a soft spot for them. Maybe they're listening. 
you know, that'd be really cool. Maybe I should just send the pod to them. Yeah. But, um, hey. Yeah, hey, uh, miss you. <laughs> because I was in such like a diverse, um, gender diverse set of friends, I was very adamant about making sure the pronouns were respected. And this was pretty contentious. My dad was not, he was one of the pronoun girlies who like doesn't understand, quote unquote, doesn't understand <laughs> pronouns, but uses them every day. And so that was like a lot of conflict came, arose from that. And I ended up running away and a lot of crazy shit happened because of it. So, queerness has always been so paramount to like who I am and what I value. And so after I went into high school, after high school, I was exploring a relationship for a little while, got out of that. That was crazy. We're not going to get into that one. I started taking classes that more aligned with my passions. So I went from a marketing major to... Um, That's so crazy. I know. I used to be... A marketing <laughs> major. <laughs> Literally taking on the tools of the oppressor in order to fit in. Um, well, we need it for the pod, so... Honestly, yeah. Maybe <laughs> I should have stayed in marketing. Uh, yeah. And so I started as a marketing major and I just like hated reducing people to like numbers and figures. Yeah. That shit's just crazy to me and like market trends and like that. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. That's not how my brain works. And so my Good. sophomore year, I know that <laughs> my sophomore, and I think there is a place in the world for people who do think that way. My sophomore year, I took a WGS class and I was like one of three male presenting people there. And it was kind of like, I opening in a lot of ways shout out to rodney bates king so yeah that's sort of like the beginning of my journey with gender and queer ecology and then right after my sophomore year one of my friends approached me lena and was like hey are you sure that you are cisgender and i was like whoa yeah so lena was actually the first person to ever like openly question that for (sighs) me and they're they, always like years ahead of they really are <laughs> and so like they really and the most positive and like accepting way like force me to sort of confront that and be like yeah. oh fuck like i i'm not cis mm-hmm. and so ever since then i've identified as trans slash non-binary just for like future clarification i use the terms pretty in- interchangeably i know that that's not the case for everybody else and so use whatever term works best for you you must closely identify with for me i feel like anything that goes against the binary in my eyes is viewed as trans and mm-hmm. even my trans friends when i identified as non-binary were like babe you're trans yeah like, just say it and it was always i think i was scared to claim trans because i didn't feel trans enough you know yeah which that's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the joy of the queer experience means redefining and reconceptualizing different ways of being and different labels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why something like trans and non-binary are so fluid in their definitions. Right about that time, I began to take environmental science courses and then quickly found out that I kind of like hated environmental justice (laughs) policy and i just found it to be like really rigid and it just upheld a lot of ideas of western society and conservation and preservation and the origins of those two terms specifically are like very 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 fraught and so in regard to that specifically i didn't get the answers that i was looking for until senior year of college Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I would love to do an episode on conservation and preservation. I think that'd be another one. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. I did um, a lot of research on Earth Day for work. Shut up. And um, I'd love to do an Earth Day episode I know, that would be so because cool. conservation is like... A fucking scam. Yeah. A fucking scam. Yeah. By white men who are racist. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying it. Yes. <laughs> I, I have so many books on it. It's a real thing. 
<laughs> it sounds so good when you whisper. Should okay, it doesn't do... sound good if I whisper unless I cut the mic. Here, oh, let me okay. give you the difference. Ooh, yeah, that is different. Crisp whisper. So yeah, um, and then as I think the semester after, I took our environmental law courses because Cricket and I took a couple of those together. Actually, yeah. What classes did we take together? Is we, that it? Water law, I believe we took together. I think that might have been it. After I took the uh, my law courses, I moved on to an environmental justice course. Shout out to the professor who taught that environmental justice course. I love you so much, and you have shaped me so much to this day. And you know exactly who you are, but just that I love you. <laughs> um, and Sorry so, I dropped. Huh? Sorry I dropped. <laughs> <laughs> there are two professors who honestly were the the catalyst for a lot of my passions today. And yeah. so... I think those two people know exactly who they are. And I just want to say thank you. And I love you. And keep doing what you're doing because you're changing lives. Ah! <laughs> I just want to give them big hugs right now. <laughs> so yeah, these courses struck a chord with me. And they permitted me to conceptualize different ways of being and existing within the environment that other courses had not. Specifically, it allowed me to conceptualize myself within the environment. Because mm. a lot of the trans experience is living outside of what is the norm. Outside of what is quote-unquote natural. Yeah, And so learning about these things that are natural within the environment that are then reflected in my life allowed me to realize that you know i am natural there's nothing unnatural or strange yes unnatural no so i don't know that was one of the things that really got me and so queer ecology is one of the topics i was introduced to at this time it allowed me to see myself and my community within the historical and present contexts of the environmental movement it went even further by challenging notions of biological essentialism for example reducing homosexuality or gender nonconformity to a series of like biological or cellular mechanisms or like even genetic markers you know that would be considered biological essentialism just trying to use biology to explain homosexuality or transsexuality mm. things like that okay yeah um, which i'm just like i'm firmly 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 against because it's like pathologizing these things about us and like making these things like almost medical that aren't yeah um that are like real lived emotional human experiences that we're then trying to like really just whittle down to one fucking gene, you know? And yeah. I, I find that disgusting. And it's also just like inaccessible. Exactly. And the more people that sort of language is offered to, mm. it's like they're going to misconstrue it yeah. as as a way to yeah. oppress. And I think it's also like extremely reductive to reduce the trans and queer experience down to a gene or biological marker. I mean, like, yeah, that's no, that's no, I can't, I can't imagine that. And so I feel um, like the only reason to do that is like as a policy point for for someone who's literally trying to take away rights. So, (laughs) so what is queer ecology? Yeah. Um, What is it? Well, tell me, me tell you. I would love to. <laughs> Queer ecology is closely related to ecofeminism. I would say it's a sister, a cousin, mm-hmm. maybe even a fraternal twin. Yeah. Because not identical, but fraternal twin okay. to ecofeminism. Should we talk about just the word queer? for a second yeah because i feel like maybe okay so queer is basically an umbrella term Mm -hmm. queer envelops all sorts of gender expressions all sorts of sexualities all sorts of identities all these different ways of being that exist outside of a binary and exist outside of a quote-unquote norm because realistically what is a norm there's not but queerness stands to sort of contrast and flip a middle finger to our norms which i find so empowering and so beautiful yeah and so liberating 
like holy shit celebrating yeah um so yeah that was off the dome wait that was crazy yeah that was off the dome you were just preaching i just love these concepts i love queerness i love queer culture i love like all of these things just dance around my head all day so yeah it's hard to like throw them back out every once in a while you know but queer (laughs) ecology makes visible the gender norms relations and asymmetries that shape human experiences of environmental processes and change it says that dominant gender norms of masculinity and femininity and the structure of patriarchy are intertwined and entangled with capitalism and colonialism Mm -hmm. so basically saying here that sexuality gender ideas of masculinity what makes a man femininity what makes a woman all of these underlie policy whether it be economic political um, environmental all of these are impacted by gender norms somehow Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that really, really, really cool because it allows to see like myself and my community making a lot more waves than I think the greater society would like to give us. I think it gives it like, damn, we actually have a lot more influence than I realized. Right. Yeah. Um, It gives you the tools to recognize and see it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, I have these tools. I've just been told for so long that I don't or that I can't. Mm hmm. That I just like didn't try to explore that. So yeah. as I had previously mentioned, queer ecology is really closely related to ecofeminism, a critical theoretical lens that focuses on the many ways that gender as a construct shapes how people see and treat nature as well as people's interactions with their environments. So what I really like about the differentiation between the two is that queer ecology feels like it addresses political ecology also mm-hmm. in some ways, whereas ecofeminism feels an analysis of the reciprocity between humans and nature Mm, so that's kind of where i find the differentiation between the two okay um is ecofeminism feels a lot more focused on connections between nature and emphasizing those and making those connections equitable and accessible yeah whereas queer ecology sort of says like how do all of these things influence our systems as a whole all of these essentially created and false systems that yeah. you know, we've imagined and so i think another thing that's super important when we're talking about queer ecology is that we're using this sort of as like an oppositional lens so we're not necessarily talking about like queer people specifically more so looking at different ways that queerness interacts with policy which interacts with the environment yeah and sort of the interconnection of all three of those Uh um it's less so about like i'm trans and i love the environment if that makes sense you know (laughs) what i mean so i know that it's like a very slight differentiation but i think it's an important differentiation yeah and so it is difficult to pinpoint when and who first coined the term of queer ecology and ecofeminism but the first mentions of the two well Queer ecology specifically is in the works of Foucault and then Inestra King was the one that invented or I guess theorized ecofeminism. So King posited ecofeminism as inherently anti-dualistic and focused on the emergence from an inherent position of humans within the natural world. Okay. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, ecofeminism is about the connections between humans and the natural world. So therefore it is anti-dualistic because if we're, if it's dualistic, there's two separate entities. Yeah. But if it's anti-dualistic, we're meshed, intermeshed as one. And yes. I think that's where ecofeminism like really finds its zhuzh. Um, not me using zhuzh in an academic sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But so any and, way that you can make um because these are these are academic theories. Oh, a hundred percent. When we read this shit in school, it was like <laughs> nights in the library, like trying to get yes. through this shit. So any way that you can like yes. you know, make this 
these ideas more accessible, I mm -hmm. think it's great. Like, it yeah. is the juge. Yeah, it is the juge. <laughs> so basically, I think at their core, ecofeminism is how do we as humans, how do we as gendered humans or humans ex going through a gendered experience interact with the environment? Yeah. Queer ecology is... How do our gender norms underlie all of our interactions, all of our policies and economics, all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be my, like, final comment on the differentiation between the two. Yeah. So Foucault essentially said that sexuality and gender are much more fluid concepts than biological essentialism dictates. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. He went further by saying sex. I can't believe he said that. I know, because the man was strange <laughs> yeah problematic but, you know <laughs> love <laughs> um and so he went further by saying sexuality is a social construction rather than a biological characteristic rather than sexuality and gender being a result of genetic makeup but if they're a result of the environments and experiences under which we are socialized okay and so I, like nature versus nurture very much nature versus nurture okay um and you know obviously i don't think there's an and or right you know i think it's definitely always the two but yeah foucault was kind of the first to introduce that sort of he was idea like, hmm, what if oh and <laughs> while i'm talking about this like white man who's like creating academic theories i like want to take a break to bounce back and say, like, all of these concepts of, like, ecofeminism and queer ecology have been around for millennia. Yeah. They are not new inventions. They are not something that a white man theorized and just came up with out of nowhere. Yeah. He simply put a name to something he is witnessing within communities and within the environment. Yes. This credit should not be given to him. Right. But Only it is. that in an academic sense, the credit has been given to him. Yes. Yeah. But I would, I, I just wanted to take a break to say, like, he was not the first person to think about these things. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's dangerous to make it sound like he was. Right. Um, and I think we'll always do our best to acknowledge that distinction yeah, whenever sure. we're, we're talking through these concepts yeah. because we do have, just by nature of like where we went to school and mm -hmm. how where we are, the lens that we see the world is very much like Western. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so... Yeah, we're trying to, we'll, yeah. we'll acknowledge it when we can. Yeah. And, and always do your best to question us as well. Oh, please. And like, if you ever have any comments or even corrections, like we would love to, for those to be sent to us. Yeah. I think we're always on the pursuit of learning and education. A lot of that is humility and understanding that you don't always have the answers. Yeah. And I'm more than open to being wrong. Right. I welcome it. Um, so you're yeah. like send me that hate mail no literally <laughs> slide in my dms and tell me you hate me like please <laughs> no. but so i think i want to dip back a little bit into the okay. renaissance if you'll let me about sexuality okay. and sort of how sexuality became demonized over the years okay. um so sexuality started off uh for starting in the renaissance for example started off really free um but sort of at the same time the renaissance is going you were starting to get not even starting to get but the rich were getting richer and very rich yeah and because of that the rich wanted to make sure that production and economic productivity as a whole were booming because obviously that's what we're still experiencing today as a result began to demonize sexual pursuits that did not result in production procreation things like that was it free for everyone no or just free for men I, th I think it was free from men okay um i would love honestly to do even a deeper dive i would love to do sort of 
and this would be my own like personal passion project uh, would just be to like <laughs> dive through the different like years and see how queerness has changed yeah. over time. I mean, obviously, that'd be a very long project. There's but, your thesis. No, literally, that's something I would love to do. Your dissertation. And, yeah, and I hate history, but I love queer history. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a beautiful, um, beautiful middle ground between the two. Yeah. So okay. this sort of turned sex into something that was socially deemed as a tool for procreation and mm-hmm. nothing less. Okay. And so this is sort of beginning of restrictive ideas of sex, sexuality, and gender promoted by Western countries and colonialism as a whole. Mm. This social sexual transition had intense connections to the church as well. Um, yeah. I feel like that doesn't necessarily need to be said, but I needed to just sprinkle. The church is so unsexy. The church is... Mm, unsexy is a great way to describe the church. <laughs> I love that. Totally unsexy. They're not turning me on and they're not doing it for me. Um, I know so many Catholics who think that being Catholic is really sexy, though. Wait, what? Sexy? Yeah. I don't think being it's any... Just the opulence of it. And I'm like, do you know where that comes from? <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Like, what? <sighs> I have so many ex-Catholic friends. It's just... Yeah. I went to Catholic school. Really? Uh, for pre-K. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> How was it? Do you remember? Uh, it was just because it was across the street from my house. Work. So I just walked there, like, for pre-K. So, anyways, back on topic, Ashton. <laughs> so, with this, this demonization of sex outside of the purpose of procreation, then makes sex that is not procreative viewed as negative and unnecessary, thus becoming evident how queerness began to be separated from what was considered natural. That's so insane to me, because it's like, they're just incels. Literally. Literally. Right? Renaissance incels. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Ugh. So yeah, these conceptual frameworks of queer ecology, political ecology, and ecofeminism, all three of these serve to directly challenge Cartesian ideas of dualism in which humans are entirely separate from nature and that we think, feel, hypothesize, and socialize. So Descartes- What's Cartesian? Cartesian. So Rene Descartes is a philosopher in the Renaissance period. Actually, I think it might have been even later than the Renaissance period. Don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> but um, you know the you know the phrase, I think, therefore I am? Yeah. That was him. Okay. So basically, he said that the difference between us and nature is that we feel, we think, we create, we hypothesize. And because- Nature doesn't do any of the quote unquote doesn't do any of these things. Mm-hmm. We have the authority to use it however we deem necessary, oh, however okay. we deem fit. So that sort of crazy. Yeah. So that started our very extractive, very exploitative nature or interactions with nature as a whole. Um, so I wrote another essay on Rene Descartes and it's just like a whole, basically 10 pages of me shitting on him yeah. because he's a shithead, um, <laughs> and a dick and just like not a great person, but <laughs> what a crazy, like contrast to what like Robin Wall Kimmer says, how like it's the same identification of our gift. Mm-hmm. Like we have the ability to conceptualize yes. nature and think of ourselves. But with and... alienation. Yes. Yeah. 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 God damn. God damn. God damn. Okay, anyways. So, as I mentioned, this separation laid the groundwork for modern and even past environmental exploitation. Um, And by separating ourselves from nature, we have allowed ourselves to completely alter natural landscapes and ecosystems in the pursuit of expansion and increases in profit. So... In that sense, queer ecology can also be considered an anti-capitalist lens by reestablishing the intimate connections between human life and experience with the presence of the natural world in and around us outside of materialistic 
frame of mind. Yeah. Um, so kind of how you mentioned earlier, how you have noticed that when you interact more with nature and you feel that interconnectedness more, you feel less inclined to buy and to get that dopamine rush, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of where I feel as if queer ecology can be an anti-capitalist lens. By linking ourselves back to the natural world, we allow ourselves to reconceptu- reconceptualize how we use and distribute natural resources as well as the factors that dictate who has access to what resources. These resources being clean water, green spaces, tree cover, things like sustainable quote-unquote practices, recycling, rainwater collection, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so where biological essentialists claim that we are inherently separate from nature, queer rays of being are being like actively replicated within nature. So it's this like wild, like, okay, you say this, but then I could click like homosexuality and animal species and yeah. I can type that in my Google search and get like thousands of species that are like doing an array of homosexual behaviors yeah. and be like, what were you saying now? <laughs> like, what was that? <laughs> if you guys have never seen a gay animal before, it's time to go. My time cat's to go a live. gay animal. Yeah. My cat's a, he's gotta be gay. Like, it's so insane that everyone thinks that every animal is straight. My cat's metrosexual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's also a Republican. <laughs> I know. And Wyatt, and Wyatt has confirmed that he is also a Republican. So like, yeah, no. My cat is a Republican. Yeah. And I hate that, but I love him. He's like DeSantis. <laughs> Do not compare my cat to Ron DeSantis. A gay Republican. <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Oh my God. I can't. Trump is such a jackass. Uh, I need to start calling him 45 instead of using his name. I hate that bitch. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, 45, 45. Um, but yeah. And honestly, that's kind of where I leave it um, is a quick dive into sort of very brief relationship between humans sex and nature yeah to modern day cool well i wanted to ask you like how you think queer ecology and your understanding of it will manifest in the way that you approach our topics going forward like what are Mm -hmm. some things that you might what are some questions you might ask or Mm -hmm. yeah some specific things you might research like what what can people look forward to who is running this initiative yeah who is running this initiative how what are the identities within the people that are running this initiative Mm -hmm. those are my first questions when it comes to um, environmental organizations for example because policy is not going to be representative unless the people making the policy are representative of larger groups of people yeah and so that's my first question from then it goes into gender diversity it's another huge thing for me and it also comes into how are women female presenting people non-binary people trans people how are these groups of people addressed or not addressed at all right. by these policies yeah. or by these actions or by these exploitative um, actions that we are known for as a as a country? And also when it comes to what is considered unnatural, I think queerness will always sort of stand as a like, mm, don't forget about me. Mm-hmm. So if we're ever talking about anything, any theorists that are like, mm, this is unnatural, be like, ah. Let's yeah. do some more research before we can fully say whether something is like unnatural. And like also who are you to determine whether something is natural or not? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think just a lot of gender equity is what I'll be approaching things with. And also just like how how am I reflected in the world and how mm-hmm. are, how is our community reflected in the world? It's just sort of like even if it doesn't come back to queer ecology on its surface, I think I'll always find a way to bring it back to queer ecology somehow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That was a really long-winded way to answer that. And I also don't know if I really answered your question. I think you totally did. I, th- oh, I think okay. it's good. Thank you. Um, the best way to figure out 
the way that someone like thinks about the world is through the questions they ask. Yeah, for sure. So I'll I'll say what I want to ask. I was say what questions would you be asking? <laughs> a political ecology perspective and like someone who studied development and like the global south mm-hmm. and just kind of like the empires of the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like where I'm coming from. I think I'm very critical about who produces knowledge, mm. where it comes from. Who has control over who can access that. Yeah, yeah. And, and what the effects of that knowledge are. Like, what happened because this person said this, and yeah. how did that discourse, like, proliferate throughout time? Mm-hmm. I think those are the questions I ask. Mm-hmm. Also, just, like, goofy shit. Yeah. So. I mean, I'll also <laughs> be asking stupid shit, like, were there any fags involved? <laughs> um, so, know that, for example, when we get to that witchcraft episode, I'm gonna be like, were there any queers involved? I know. And I know. the answer is yes. Yeah, <laughs> The answer yeah. is absolutely yes. Is that what we're doing? I, I think we're going to do it for a Halloween episode. Okay, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, so we have this episode, um, which was just an intro. And thank you guys for listening and hanging out for yeah. for the distance. Um, yeah, we know it's not necessarily... Oh, hi, kitties. I know it's not necessarily like a short episode, but... Yeah. We had to get all of our little our pointers in it. Yeah. And so next episode is our house plant episode. Yeah. We did already record it and it was we really did. fun. We did. This is a re-recording <laughs> of our first episode because of technical difficulties. Yeah. But we are here. We are queer. And we are recording. Yes. And we are making the best content we can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Kazooie. Yeah. What are you doing, handsome? And then um, after that, we'll have a spooky episode. It might be about witchcraft. It might be about other stuff. We just like, yeah. Um, I, I did check out three books about witchcraft from the library yesterday. So I will be reading those. Okay. So if you bring in the like, witchcraft stuff, I want to talk about crystals and crystal mining and the effects of that. Oh, yeah. like, Oh, like yeah. contemporary witchcraft, exactly. like TikTok exactly. witchcraft. Like, from what I'm gathering, a lot of your stuff looks like it's um, like more historical stuff, like a history of fear from ancient times to present. So like, I'm like, what are we doing now? What about carving our little candles yeah. and like making our little quote unquote potions? Yeah. Like, like that Lord song. Wait, which one? There's so um, many. Oh, it's on her new album. No, it's um. Oh, it's Mood Ring. Mood Ring. Yeah. Yes, that one's so good. Okay, is it still gonna be spooky though? What do you mean? It'll be spooky. I mean, or or we could do two episodes for Halloween. Okay. One is that, and another one is just ghost stories. We can look up ghost stories. I can tell my ghost stories. I see. I don't have any ghost stories, so I'd love to hear yours. Mm. Okay, work. Let's do that. Mm. A double feature. Okay. Okay, bet. Because the first one will be a little bit more academic. Yeah. Still fun, but academic. Right. Second one, basically Bitches just love witches. Bitches love witches. Well, I feel like with that, we've covered basically everything. And yeah. we will now leave you to walk about the next week or two thinking about queer ecology, political yeah. ecology, and where you stand in it all. Right. Yeah. And where you stand is among everyone else. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Period, queen. I tried to be cool and it just came out bad. I, okay. Basically, where you stand is no different from where the person next to you stands. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day. So, yeah. regardless of, you know, politics, regardless of identity, we are all human beings experiencing yeah. life on this giant fucking rock hurtling through space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that being said, <laughs> we will uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll see you next time. We won't hear them. Yeah, that's true. I guess.
Well, we, we have that. Bye. Until next time, <laughs> be safe, don't drown. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Out on Earth. Ashton and I have been planning this for years and years, and we're just so excited to finally show it to the world. Just as a reminder, if you aren't following Out on Earth Pod on Instagram, you're missing out on a ton of awesome visual guides, memes, and jokes to go along with the show. Also, if you'd like to support us on Patreon for just $5 a month, you can gain access to early episodes, bonus episodes, and the official Out on Earth Episodic Zine, which serves as a guidebook, listening, learning, and vocabulary guide that you can print out and fold on your own. I just printed mine out. Uh, I just finished designing it and it's so cute. I'm going to stick it in the back of my journal and just kind of look at it whenever I need some inspiration. (laughs) Um, Full transcripts and citations are also posted for free on the Patreon if you're looking for them. Uh, You do not have to pay to access those. And yeah, I really hope you enjoyed our first episode and we would appreciate it so much if you could share our show with a friend who might also enjoy it. And if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to follow and rate our show by tapping the three dots on our profile and then the little star icon listed as rate show. It really helps us out. If you have questions or concerns, feel free to email us at outonearthpod at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. Together we can find joy out on earth. Out on Earth is written, produced, and edited by Cricket Kayan Ashton Attig. Hosted by Acast. Music provided by Halisna. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.